Welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere, where CEOs, leaders, and experts at building teams, companies, organizations, and amazing cultures share how to lead from anywhere in the world. I'm your co-host on the East Coast, Judy Bianco Mathis. And I'm your co-host on the West Coast, Mitch Simon. And we invite you to join us to Team Anywhere. Today on Team Anywhere, we speak with Alicia Hegarty, Strategic Wellness Lead at CPL, Future of Work Institute in Dublin, Ireland. Alicia shares her personal story of how she became interested and then the expert on wellness in the workplace. Her conversation about the eight dimensions of wellness and her insistence on data and its application to wellness will provide you with a strategic approach to creating wellness programs that will impact your bottom line. Hello and welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere. I'm your co-host, Mitch Simon on the West Coast, and we've got Ginny Mathis, your co-host on the East Coast. And today we actually have someone from Europe. Really excited. Yay! (laughs) And on the podcast, we have Alicia Hegarty, Strategic Wellness Lead at CPL Future of Work Institute. Working within multiple sectors, Alicia helps promote a healthy workforce that supports business needs and enhances productivity and engagement. So welcome, Alicia, to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. It's great to have you. And the first thing we'd like to know is who are you and how are you attracted to the area of wellness in the workplace? Yeah, so as you said, I'm, I'm Alicia Hegarty, a Strategic Wellness Lead for CPL's Future of Work Institute. It's a bit of a tongue twister. <laughs> CPL are known here in Ireland, where I'm based, as uh, Ireland's leading talent transformation business. And essentially, we offer things like recruitment services, managed services, solutions and consultancy which the future of work is, is, is our consultancy brand. And so I lead wellness as a service for our clients. And my attraction to wellness, as you asked, um, really comes from my personal experience. So it kind of dates back to when I started in my first leadership role. And actually, my, my own health started to d- diminish and I experienced burnout. I was chronically fatigued partially because I was doing so much and I was very ambitious and I was a yes person and I was taking, you know, saying yes to all variety of different projects to help drive my career uh, without really looking after myself as well as I should, despite knowing what I knew about well-being, ironically. Um, and that was when I was working in HR, where most of my my, my uh, experience was at the time. Um, Alongside my HR career, I'd also been very, very interested in health and fitness. And I studied as a nutritionist and a fitness instructor and, you know, all of those lovely things. And so what I've done is combined my experience, you know, in HR, my own personal experience and and um, the expertise that I've learned in the health and fitness industry and from, from working with clients um, on their wellness strategies. Hey, well, thank, thank you for that. You know, the, the yeah. way I found out about you, Alicia, is... I was um, going through the internet here in, in my little studio here in San Diego, and I was I was trying to find something on wellness, something that really captured wellness, because most people say the word wellness, they don't even know what it really means. Mm. And lo and behold, there was this article that you had written, and it had basically broken down wellness into eight different areas, which I'm sure I want you to talk about. I was able to take that article 
bring it into my client, which is Host Healthcare. And then they were able to really understand the stressors, let's say, in, in their lives. And now they're going to promote that into their company for this next quarter. So, so um, maybe you could interest, introduce us to those different stressors. And of course, what I want to know is what is the, the most, um, the biggest stressor in your life right now? And how do you take care of yourself? The biggest stressor in my life, I suppose for everyone, it's probably COVID <laughs> at the moment. The pandemic's having, you know, different um, stressful impact on, on a lot of people. I actually, um, I wrote an article on my LinkedIn page um, at the start of the year around my own experiences about having to quarantine uh, when I presented with some COVID symptoms. And at the time, I noticed some old anxiety issues starting to reoccur, reoccur. And what I realized is that although I had a slight little dip and we're all human, you know, sometimes I'm like, well, I'm a wellness professional, so I can't show that I'm stressed or that I ever get sick. <laughs> you know what I think even more now with COVID, we can see people get sick, people get stressed, regardless of the type of job. And I think hiding it is something that, you know, it's a stigma we, we shouldn't really do. And so I suppose had done a lot of work over the years in managing my own stress because of my experience with burnout. And I have now what I call a resilience toolkit. So I was able to use things like mindfulness and meditation and speaking to people close to me to help me bounce back. And also at the time, I've kind of recognized, you know, maybe I wasn't eating as well as I should, or maybe I was drinking a bit more coffee or I was feeling sorry for myself. So I was drinking more alcohol. We all are susceptible to some of these things. But because of the stuff that I've been through in the past, I had a level of resilience that I was able to use and things that I was able to tap into. And actually, one of the things that I used that I found at that time, and I'm still doing to this day, I wasn't doing it pre-COVID, was journaling. Never really journaled that much before, but I'm finding now it's really helping me in the absence of having to social distance and be maybe a little bit further apart from friends and family. Okay, we can do it virtually, which is great. Um, but one of the things that that I've um, been doing is, is journey, journaling. I found it really beneficial. How and uh, let me ask, how is it? How is it? Uh, how in COVID are you finding uh, journaling to be um, to be helpful? In some ways, it's there's a lot of things I think uh, from speaking with people very very similar in a similar position. There's a lot of questions and thoughts kind of rolling around in the head. And I find by putting it down on paper, it gets it out of the head and you're kind of, you know, not quantifying it. In some ways, you may be dwelling on a particular subject. You may be worried about your own health, about the health of your friends or your family. And I think sometimes rather than having it roll around in the head, simply by writing it out sometimes helps get rid of some of those questions. And then sometimes I found, well, actually, I'm worrying about something that probably isn't within my <laughs> ability to solve when we're all in this, you know. Um, and I think as well, for me, reflection, I find is quite good. So I've been doing a lot of kind of inner work and reflecting on things that have been going well, as opposed to focusing on the negative. And then also some, and it could be different every day, could be different. One day I could focus a lot on gratitude and things that I'm grateful for. Um, but I find even just sitting in front of it and going, I have to write something. Let's write something. And then it just starts flowing and it just starts coming out. And it's really, I find it's really um, interesting, the type of things that come out. Alicia, what I have found, and I think this is what you're saying, so I just want to emphasize it, that the writing down 
is even more powerful than just chatting with someone. Hey, if nothing else, chat with someone. Really yeah. important. The yeah. writing down does force what you just said, reflection. When you write down and it's in writing and it's the mechanics of it, they say, neurologists say, that mm. then it forces reflection. Mm. And um, that, I think, is the gift you give to yourself. And it sounds like, wow, I'd, I'd put that right up at the top with, with your wellness. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, and it's something very small that you can start doing, you know. And it was a friend of mine who is a yoga and mindfulness instructor who had kind of recommended it to me. And I probably would have turned my nose up. I was like, oh, God, what am I going to write? What do I, you know, but once you get started, you almost sometimes can't stop. Oh, you got your, your journal. Yeah, you almost can't stop. I find, I, I, find, I find it really beneficial, really profound, particularly with the where we, where we are at the moment. And then I start thinking about the future and, and oh, you, know, yeah. you start writing your different thoughts down. And, oh, what if my future kids pick this up down the line? And they'll know what, I've, what I was thinking during COVID. And, you know, it's... Yeah, I give them a piece all. of history. Could be a piece yes. of history. Yes, it is. But one point, and then there's tons of questions we want to ask you. Um, when I coach leaders, as you may, I say, I'd like you to keep a journal. Mm-hmm. And I'll type it out. Or no, I want you to keep a journal. So then I come to the next meeting. Do you have your journal? No. Well, then, lucky, and I just reach down. I've got 10 journals, right? Pick the one you like. <laughs> you have to use it. Yeah. yeah. Right. I think it's I think it's really good. And it is much better, you know, the physically writing it rather than typing it. I tried that for a while and I wasn't as consistent with that. But I do find the art of actually getting a pen, paper, having a book and writing it with a pen is is, is, is much more powerful. I think there's some science behind that, but I, I wouldn't know too much about there it. Is. There is, yeah. I think I think I'm definitely going to try that. Just it just brings me back to law school where all we did was write until we until we fell asleep with a pen. <laughs> I remember writing with a pen. Does anyone remember writing with a pen? Oh, okay. yeah. no. Calligraphy oh, and all feathers. Yeah. Great. Okay, great. So let's do this. What does wellness mean, and what mm-hmm. does wellness in the workplace mean for those of us who are still struggling with the word? Mm, for sure. So. I mean, wellness can mean different things to different people. But in short, I like to think of wellness in the context of a workplace is where both both the employee and the employer collaborate to use a continual improvement process to protect and promote the health and safety and well-being of the employees in the workplace. And so this isn't necessarily just in the context of our physical or mental wellness. But as you've mentioned, the future of work, we look at it across eight dimensions of wellness. So it's considering things like financial wellness, occupational, intellectual, environmental, spiritual and social wellness as well of those. And I think what I really like about that definition is that it's collaborative and it's continuous. Um, I think they're the, the really two key um, things to to note there. It's not just about the employer and their responsibility but the employee also has a responsibility for their own health and well-being like I have a responsibility to to manage my own health and well-being and I think it's about as as I mentioned protecting and promoting so it's continuously looking at the health and physical and mental safety of the of the employee how does the how does the how does the collaboration look what what does it look like um because I can just imagine (laughs) the CEO walking in and saying you know you 
get down and do 10 push-ups because I'm going to promote your <laughs> wellness. So I'm just wondering, how does that, how does it uh, work from, from <clears throat> encouraging both sides? Mm. So again, I think the, it definitely needs, it probably is initiated from the employer um, and it always needs to come from the top down. And generally what I see in some cases Wellness is a tick box exercise. We just want to see, be seen to be doing a, and have a wellness program. And if it has a little bit of an impact or not, sure, great. You know, they just want it for an attraction piece, maybe, or it's a promotional piece. But I think if it is to be really um, effective, um, it employers need to consider it across um a, how it can impact their bottom line, but also B, then how it can impact the employee. So for example, we know healthy employees are happy employees, are more engaged employees, and more engaged employees are going to be more productive employees. So it has a business benefit. And this is why we call it strategic wellness is because it has a, it can have a, a specific business benefit for an organization. Um, and there's tons of research around, and we, we have a, a white paper um time to uh workplace wellness time to get strategic which talks around all of that in terms of how it can support your attraction strategy your retention strategy um and that collaboration obviously needs to start with a cultural change as well so it's all well and good as i mentioned to provide certain things that maybe educate the employee so we all generally will know you have to eat well, move, relax, sleep well in order to be healthy. A lot of traditionally wellness programs will will focus on educating the employee and very little at kind of mitigating this, this, the, the stress. And so with that collaboration, I think that it really needs to come from a place where an organization is really building it into their uh, strategy and is building it into their culture. And in order to build it into your culture, it needs to be more than here's a few wellness exercise videos that you can do and we'll do a steps challenge. They need to look at it from their attraction strategy. Where does it fit in your recruitment process? How can you attract people? Is it, in, is it included in your induction program? How are your managers trained to manage people in a way that doesn't diminish them? but encourages well-being and therefore productivity. And looking at it right to when someone exits, because work-related stress is probably the number one stressor that we know of that can contribute to burnout, but also one of the number one reasons people leave organizations as well. So when they look at it across all of those touch points, I think you automatically can A, build it into your culture. And when it's built into the culture, it's, it's almost seen as a norm. And as part of that, then you would also have a potentially a strategy, but a promotion of employees taking ownership of their own health and well-being as part of your wellness program. And then how do you, I love what you're saying, you know, because, you know, just, I think as someone who goes in a lot of orgs, we, you know, we, we do the culture and we do the values and I don't, you know, I, in my history, I don't see, we, I don't, remember us doing a lot of like, well, one of our values is health and wellness. 
Mm. Um, and that's, I think, what you're implying. How would um, or how have you gone into a company where you've built that, let's say, collaborative relationship between employees and uh, the employer so that employees say, yeah, I really want to take this on and I, I'm going to do it. And it, it's actually, I'm going to take responsibility for it instead of just yeah. depending upon my employer. So I think um, there's a little bit of a flaw, I think, in sometimes in the design of wellness programs. Traditionally, wellness sits within HR and HR are responsible for designing and implementing it. And one of the mistakes I see commonly um, is HR people will, and this is not a fault of their own, um, generally will decide and design the wellness program the way they think it should be. And then they roll it out and they're like, well, why is no one engaging in this? So I love to involve employees. And there's loads of research um, to suggest that if you involve me in in the design of something, I'm more likely to want to be involved. And I'm more likely to continue to tell everyone else to get involved because I was involved in it. Um, So that's the approach that we use when we're working with organizations to design their wellness strategy is, okay, we'll we'll run our diagnostic to see what's what's the cause and then narrow it down so that we can work with employees through a series of workshops or whatever that is to support the design of it. And therefore, when we when we roll it out, you get that you get that engagement piece. And then how do you um, what the other thing you said was continuous. Mm-hmm. So how do you how do you see employers making sure that this is not a a flavor of the month? But it actually is the, in, in fact, in, uh, instinctive part of the culture. Yeah. Data, data, data. I data. love data. Anything. And then this is another thing that I think is missing in some ways for wellness programs. They're not measuring it. Or if they are measuring it, they're just measuring, well, how many people were engaged in our wellness app? They're not necessarily measuring it against things like their engagement or their productivity or their absenteeism and, and seeing well, what is, if I'm a CEO, I want to know, well, what's the return on investment if I invest in this? Or what's the return on value? So in productivity and engagement and retention, what value am I getting back? So what I'm, I'm a huge believer in me- measuring those outcomes. And then you build your continuous improvement plan based on that. So right now we know there is probably certain things that are contributing to stress or unwellness, as I like to call it, um, within organizations, purely because of the pandemic. But next year, that could be different. And the year after, it could be other things. And so this is why if we go in with a one-size-fits-all approach to wellness, it doesn't really have that ROI or that ROV that, that, that we're really looking for. And it may not also be having an impact on the employee, a beneficial impact. So. By measuring it and by using that data, we can make sure that our wellness strategy is continuous. It's continuing to improve and it's having that impact on employees. And and again, this is where, as you mentioned before, when we we roll out our our diagnostic, it looks at those things as well. So it could tell us what areas we need to, what areas are really contributing to the unwellness at the moment for employees. And that might change. So let's go directly into the eight dimensions and, and, and I know that when when I was meeting with my team at Host Healthcare, we we kind of came up with three of the eight that was that were really being impacted due to COVID. I love the way you said that 
you know what? Okay, so it's going to be COVID this year. It might be something next year or the following year. I'm just mm. wondering on what you're seeing of the eight dimensions that are really um, coming out as unwellness given mm. COVID. I love that you used unwellness. Um, so this is really, really hard to pin it down because it really depends on the organization. And there are some organizations that are doing really well in some of the dimensions and there are other organizations that aren't doing really well. So, for example, some organizations, you know, occupational wellness is really high contributor to unwellness due to, you know, job insecurity or a work overload. But in other organizations and maybe even some industries like, you know, tech or pharma, this may not be as high. So you also have in some organizations where and I've spoken to even, you know, people in my network where management expectations still haven't changed. So this is putting further demand on employees. But then there's others where management has changed and is more empathetic and they're more considerate. So again, I think it really depends on the organization. And I I also I did a webinar on this actually and I it's on my LinkedIn page as well if anyone wants to look at it. And it goes through all of the eight dimensions and, and where we see the problem areas because you know, you can argue as well, you know, financial wellness and social wellness are a huge problem because people are struggling financially. They're worried about job loss and they've lost that social connection. Um, in some organizations, spiritual wellness is having an impact and maybe intellectual because communication from leadership is really, really poor. Um, for all of us, I think environmental wellness is probably hit because our physical working space has changed you know, and some organizations are doing really well and providing subsidies to their employees and others are not, you know. So I think that, and again, then all of this has a knock-on effect on our physical and mental wellness. So it's really hard to pin a point, pinpoint it to, to one or two things. I think you could, you could look at all of them, but I think it really comes down to the, to the organization as well. Can you tell us a little bit, because this is the one, um, and, and I love the way you rattle off because you've memorized these, which is great. I haven't <laughs> memorized them yet. I do know that your second one, which is intellectual wellness, has a lot to mm. do with just managing the workload. Mm. And I'm just wondering, and for a lot of us, we would, you know, when a lot of us think about wellness, I mean, frankly, at least in the United States, I just go directly to, oh, wellness, meditation and yoga. Yeah. And, and I, know it's, I know it's much more than that, especially for yeah. those who are just never going to do yoga. Mm. You're never going to do it in a studio again. Sorry about the <laughs> studios. Um, but for intellectual wellness, which is managing the workload, especially because, you know, I used to commute an hour a day or an hour and a half each day. And now I have those three hours back. And so what do I do? Mm. I just work more. Mm. And I'm just wondering how have employers been able to deal with those employees who are just, you know, they're showing their commitment and dedication and they're working mm. and they're going crazy. So how do you deal with that particular? Yeah, and I think I think this is a real problem. And I think it was even a problem pre-COVID, but with probably more so now because we're, and I don't have kids yet, so I can't, I, I can't really speak from experience, but from, from speaking with people whom I know who, you know, are at work in the morning, manage the kids in the afternoon, and then they're logging back on at night, you know, it's a it's a real problem. People aren't necessarily switching switching off, and we've also seen, you know, a lot of statistics. Well, uh, burnout has almost doubled since um, February, particularly here anyway in Ireland and the UK. Um, so it is quite concerning that people are constant with that 
work overload and people want to prove themselves. They want to prove themselves worthy within an organization. They're afraid they're going to be let go. So they're doing more work if they're, you know, or if they're in a sales position, I mean, it's harder to make sales at the moment as well. So, um, and in some organizations, if you don't, you know, bring in money, your, you know, your, your role may not be relevant. So I think people are worried and therefore they're trying to prove themselves. I think one of the challenges also is technology as great as technology is, you know, with the evolution of technology, we can work on our phones. And um, so to answer your question, and I'm sorry for rumbling, I think there's a, t- a, two, a two-way approach here. I think the employee needs to set boundaries. And I I had to take apps off my phone so I wouldn't reply to people who messaged me at 10 a.m. or 10 p.m. about, sorry, I am online at 10 a.m., <laughs> 10 p.m. or 11 p.m. or whatever at night. Um, and agreeing realistic targets with managers and clients was really important for setting expectations for me to be able to manage my own time and my wellness. So this is where it comes back to your responsibility as an employee. I think then also from an employer's perspective, it's a cultural thing. So if you really and truly want to be an organization that takes wellness seriously, you can't allow or encourage people to be emailing out of, out of hours or setting unrealistic targets. So these are the biggest reasons people will work late. And I think managers need to be mindful of this if they're seeing employees being impacted um, or burning the candle at both ends. Um, and I suppose as leaders, we need to lead in a way that, yes, gets work done, but doesn't diminish a person to the brink of exhaustion. I think that's real kind of old leadership style. And I am seeing, and I think it probably will, and I don't know if I have the exact answer for this, but I do think leadership is evolving as a result. But I think we've all been thrown in at the deep end as well. <laughs> So let's let, let's get real. It's just it's it's just you know nobody's listening. It's just Ginny, you and me here, right? Mm-hmm. And and let's just say, okay, I'm I'm a I own my own business, and and this and I'm watching this COVID thing, and I'm watching my employees work. I don't know, fifty, sixty, seventy hours a week, and you know what? I'm loving it because I've just never seen my employees work so hard in their lives. And I'm just thinking about all the money I'm going to make and all the, um, all the profits we're going to, you know, we're going to have and how this is just really great. How do you take me off that ledge before I burn out all my employees? What, what would you say to me? I think it comes down to, that's really interesting. And, and I go back to my, put my nutrition hat on or my coaching hat on when you're kind of burning a candle at, at both ends. And it's like, it's like talking to someone who has an, a sugar addiction, you know, and you're constant with that sugar, but you're going to end up with diabetes if you don't sort out your sugar intake, you know? So I think it's having a realistic conversation with someone to understand, yes, okay, I know you're making loads of money now. I know that sugar tastes really, really good right now, but in the long run, these are the impacts that you're going to have. Your people are going to leave. And does data to support all of this? If people are burnt out, you can run a, you can run a survey with your employees might be they might be working really hard and they might be fine. They might not have any unwellness or they might not be stressed. Um, but in most cases, it'll be very, very difficult, particularly if they're working long, long hours at that time for a long period of time. Like we can do short stints. I mean, there are certainly times where I've worked, maybe not all nighters, but you've worked a lot of hours to reach a deadline or to get something over the line. But if you're doing it constantly, it will have detrimental uh, impact to your business. And I like to use the diabetes thing because people can kind of relate to that. Nobody oh, really yeah, wants to go there. Really <laughs> <good>. <laughs> right, 
a drunk on sugar. Yeah. Let me ask, let me ask the, the next question again. I'm going to go back to, uh, you know, I'm this, I'm this entrepreneur with this running this really growing business. And, and most likely, let's say I'm in my 40s or my 50s. What I wanted to know is how can you, how can you um, share with me how unwellness or wellness is impacting my Z gens, my, um, my, my millennials and my boomers. And what are you, what are you seeing? Are you seeing a, 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 a disparate um, differences between these or is it all kind of collected? And again, how would you consult an organization to look differently at these different age groups? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, for generations, we definitely see difference. I see it more so in their health needs or desires are very different. So what I wanted in my 20s for my health and well-being was more a social side of things and was more career progression. When you get into your late 20s, early 30s, you're starting to think about, you know, family and, you know, work-life balance and spending time at home with the kids and stuff like that. And then maybe later in life, you know, you're you're considering more, actually find people in the older generations are more considerate around uh, chronic diseases and managing chronic and preventing chronic disease health. You know, you're starting to see different health needs. And as that, you're seeing different stressors. People of an older generation may be carers at home. So there's different external stressors um, that they may have. They're probably at a stage where not like you're in your mid twenties or thirties, where you're trying to drive your career and you're you're studying and you're progressing. I know now you can still study at any age and, and all of those things. I'm very being very generalist at the moment, but in general terms, that's what we see. Is so you know for someone in their twenties, we may see intellectual wellness, occupational wellness, social wellness, maybe key areas to focus on for those. In other areas, you know your, your baby boomers or or your millennials, you might find that, you know, financial well-being, because they may be looking to buy, you know, get mortgages and buy houses and cars and, you know, different things like that might be more important to them, might be a stressor for them. Maybe they're paying for education. All of those different things are a concern there. And then maybe other benefits for people of older generation um, are in, in terms of carers leave, you know, you could, all of those things. We don't, we don't fall, call them wellness, but I would class them as like atypical wellness solutions. It's not a yoga class, but it's help, helping people's well-being. If you can provide carer's leave um, to, to someone who may be caring for an elderly parent or, or something like that. So, you know, in, in a work context, but also in a, in, a, in a personal life, you know, context, that filters into what people are looking for in, the, in their, in, in their um, employment, in their, in their workplace environment. I worked with an, an organization who had mostly financial institution that had mostly um, older generation and um, people who would stay there very, very long term, very, very committed long term to their career. And so even from like how you communicate your wellness program, it matters per generation. So if you're a younger workforce, people will be more engaged with tech. But there's no point putting tech into that into that particular um, organization because they don't they, they don't engage as much with tech so they are better with um seminars and things that are a little bit more social as opposed to things that you would do on an app where you're tracking your steps and you're doing steps challenges so you're looking as well as well what are people going to engage in across generations as well and that's a key consideration too 
we'd like to take this brief interruption to thank our sponsors and then get back to our program. We'd like to thank Marymount University, Arlington, Virginia, School of Business and Technology, Innovative Solutions, Upskilling for the What's Next Economy at marymount.edu. Oyster Organizational Development, dedicated to higher performance, business success, and leveraging teams at oysterod.com. And We Jungo, a strategic people process consulting firm at we, com. My last two questions are, what is the thing that um, you're most fearful about given COVID and given this time and people not maybe taking care of themselves or taking care of their wellness? And then I want to, on the other side, say, and also, what are you most hopeful for, you know, given the impact that you're having in, mm. in the world? You know, obviously, um, you know, your, your words are being heard throughout the world. Um, wow. What are you most <laughs> hopeful for as people take on this new look at, at wellness as something very serious mm. and something to really unite employers with employees? Yeah, I suppose I'm most hopeful for people taking a strategic approach um, I think, and I'm, maybe I'm a little biased, <laughs> but I really do think, you know, taking a strategic approach, I think, is where wellness will evolve to if, it, if it's not evolving there already. And that's one of the things that I'm, I'm really passionate about, because I think it's beneficial for both the employer and the employee and as well taking a root cause approach. So looking at, well, what's actually contributing to wellness in our organization as opposed to just sorry I don't mean just educating people it's important to educate people but 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 simply only doing that is is is, it's almost like a band-aid approach so we do need to there's no point in saying like you know you said free food on a Wednesday and a steps challenge and 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 but we're still putting pressure on employees and 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 there's there's things going on in in the organization that are contributing to to stress COVID aside um one of the things then I suppose that I'm suppose I'm fearful mostly of the impact on people's mental health, you know, with working from home, with limiting the social interaction. Um, and co- some companies are doing this really, really well. But I think even the companies that are doing it so well still don't know. And we won't know the full impact of this. I noticed some research coming out um, burnout has been on the rise. Um, it's hard. It's hard to juggle, you know, and we're all fearful going in, 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 into winter here anyway. When we have another lockdown, what's that going to be like coming into flu season? It's it, that's my biggest fear is the impact that this will have psychologically on people, particularly and maybe because coming from a HR background, I'm actually writing an article um, on this at the moment is the impact that COVID is going to have on burning out HR professionals. Because technically, they are front line for our organization. And they are dealing with a lot. They've had to step up a lot. It's a people-centric role, um, looking after employees, coaching managers and employees, having those difficult conversations, you know, preparing to work from home, then bring people back to the office, then work from home again. They're kind of juggling back. HR jobs are open 
everywhere. Everywhere. And they, I've spoken to a few people in the last, actually spoke with a psychologist friend of mine um, yesterday, and she she has seen an increase in demand in providing psychological support to HR professionals who are burning out. And that's one of my biggest fears. Mental health is going to impact us all. Mental ill health will impact us all. But my, my one of my biggest concerns at the moment is, is around the, the burnout of HR professionals, because it's that old looking after others and not looking after yourself for that, you know? Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, this has been great, Alicia. So, okay, please let us know, uh, how can we find you? What would be uh, how, what would be ways to find you and where to find you um, so that we can learn more about the eight dimensions, learn more about your services? I'm, I'm mm-hmm. assuming you're, you've got clients here in the United States? We have some, mostly. So a lot of the US firms that we work with have European hubs here in Dublin. Okay. So right. most of those that we yeah we work with here th- through here to the to the US if that makes sense. I see. Yeah. That's yeah. Great. great. Um so the best way to find me is on LinkedIn, Alicia Hegarty on LinkedIn or Twitter. Um and also on the CPL website, um you'll find all of our all of our details there on the CPL website um forward slash future of work institute. Um you'll find all of all of those details there or email me alicia.hegarty at cpl.e. All right, great. Well, thank you so much, Alicia. This has been just a pleasure. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Just fabulous. um, Thank you. Great. Thanks. So anyways, uh, thank you again for all of our listeners um, for coming and listening to another incredible episode of Team Anywhere.